Well, good morning. My name is Sean Chandler. If you don't know me, my wife and I have been attending Hutto Bible for the last 15 years, which has been quite the adventure because at the time I started, they had me working with middle schoolers, and now my middle schoolers from back then are all married and have kids. So it makes me feel old. And like I said, they started me working with middle schoolers. I had zero kids. And as of May of this year, I have a child in the student ministry, which is rocking my world. I'm getting older. Anyway, we're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching timeless truths and wisdom. And we're unpacking what they look like for our lives today. And on the opposite side of timeless truths and wisdom is utter foolishness. Now, if you know me, you know... uh, I'm very measured and intentional with my choices. Not a lot of tomfoolery with me. Not a lot of malarkey. Don't know why I'm talking like I was born in the 1930s. But, you know, I don't make a lot of bad choices or do anything silly. But there was one time I made a bad choice. And it relates to this item right here. And as soon as I reveal the item, you will probably start to see why this was a bad choice. So about 20 years back, my mom lived on five acres of land, and my brother came to town, saw the condition of the trees on the land, and thought he would show me how to take care of and prune the trees so that they would look properly with this delightful toy. He taught me how to play with a chainsaw. And play we did, and then he left town, But he also left me with a lust to play with the chainsaw. So for two days straight, all I did was run around with the chainsaw, going Texas Chainsaw Massacre on all the trees, pruning them, chopping anything that I could, didn't sleep, living off Red Bull, and the joy that comes from playing with a chainsaw. But after two days, I had run out of branches on ground level. But then I remembered, trees go up. And there's branches higher up, and they're even thicker and more delicious to cut through. And I owned a ladder. So I went and grabbed the ladder, placed it under a tree, saw an amazing-looking branch, climbed up the ladder with the beautiful chainsaw, thought about it like, all right, I've seen enough samurai movies. When you cut something, it drops straight down. So if I use the chainsaw start chopping away at the branch, it'll drop straight down, and my ladder's right here, I will be totally fine. So, grab Mr. Chainsaw, start going at it. Then I remembered, that's not how this works. Branches don't fall straight down, they swing. And as I had that thought, the branch began to swing. And it swings down, hits the ladder, ladder flies up in the air, chainsaw flies up in the air, Branch flies up in the air, but gravity, however, threw me to the ground. On top of me lands the ladder, the branch, the chainsaw, and that's the story of how I died. (laughs) That's a joke. That's the story of how I lost these two fingers. They're good. This is another joke. Um, As soon as I said chainsaw, everyone in the room goes, this idiot's going to do something real stupid. Then I say ladder. Everyone goes, oh dear, what are you doing? Soon as I say branch falls straight down, everybody in the room knew, what are you doing? But the reality is, 
I also knew all of those things. If I had seen one of you do any of these things, even 20 years ago, when I was really dumb, I would have known, no, Joel, you shouldn't be playing on the ladder, swinging a chainsaw around. With that in mind, if you can grab my chainsaw. As a heads up, this sermon has so many props that I had to get a prop guy to help me out with everything. So just be prepared for where this is. That's how silly this is. But I knew better. I knew it. But in the moment, it just looked too much fun. And I went for it. So as we start moving into the back end of this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in this passage isn't going to give us new instruction on a new topic. He's going to talk about what you do with the information you already have. Because knowing that playing with a chainsaw is dangerous is not good enough. You have to apply that knowledge. And knowing what Jesus has taught isn't good enough. You have to apply it if you want it to change your life. So, diving into it, verse 24, Matthew 7, verse 24, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So in this passage, he's going to con contrast two people, the wise man and the fool. Wise man hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. He does something with that information. And Jesus is saying, if you want your life to be changed, you have to do something with what you hear, which is one of those truths that is so unbelievably obvious with every single other thing in life, but we get so stupid about it when it comes to church world. And we gather a bunch of information and don't apply it. You think, brought a book with me. This guy right here, The Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've read the book, you probably could tell from my physique. Question, how many times do you need to read this book if you want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? How many times do you have to read it? One, two, a thousand to look like this. All of you are thinking, well, you don't gain muscle by reading a book. You gain muscle by applying truths. Actually, this book weighs about 30 pounds, so if you did read this book enough times, you would get some totally sweet guns. But you don't gain muscle by reading a book. You have to apply the truth. In the book of James, James puts this really nicely. I, I love the way James puts it. It's so blunt. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just like caveman almost like. Do what it says. He's so direct. And he's like, if you don't do that, if you just hear it and think, I'm good. You're deceiving yourself. And it's so obvious with everything else. How many months do you have to pay for a gym membership to lose 10 pounds? Well, if you don't go to the gym, the only thing that goes down is your bank account. Something I've learned over the last six months is I've been paying for a gym that I haven't been going to. Paying for a gym does not transform your body. Going to the gym transforms your body. And just hearing truths 
isn't what changes you. You have to apply what it says. You can't just come to church. I've heard a lot of sermons. I go to Bible study. Right, right. Okay, good. That is a good thing to do. But what are you doing with it? Knowledge doesn't equal transformation. James phrased it this way. Hearing minus doing is deception. Like If you think that just hearing is good enough, it's deception. There's more to it than just gathering information. Jesus continues on. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The wise man hears the word, puts it into practice, and in doing so, builds a firm foundation. Jesus isn't just giving like life hacks. Here's a little cool tip. No, no, no. He's giving you the foundation. This is what you build your life off of. Not just little anecdotes, not just nice ways to be a little happier, to have your marriage a little smoother. This is the foundation that your worldview should be based off of. How you perceive of everything should be filtered through this grid that Jesus just taught. And if you go through what he talked about, he talks about your attitude, talks about how you treat other people, talks about your relationship with others, your marriage, love, hate, talks about prayer, talks about community and how there's people that aren't real. Like he goes through all of it because he's laying a foundation, not just tips, a foundation for life. So I've got three kids, youngest of them, little Karis. She goes to preschool. It's called Solid Foundations. A third of you work there. A third of you, your kids go there. And the other third of you, 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 you know, <laughs> people who go there. Um, it's hilarious. Every time I go there, um, yeah, I run into someone that has a question about something because I know everybody there. So she goes. It's called Solid Foundations. Go to their website. That's the Luke passage where Jesus says the same story, different passage. That's where the name comes from. And every day, little five-year-old comes home and she starts teaching me something. Telling me a little story that she learned about God, about having patience, or some little foundational truth. So, of course, I respond to her, Kiris, I already know that. I have a degree in Bible. <laughs> and no, oh, no, it's so adorable. But more importantly, it's so profound and powerful that my five-year-old is building that, having that foundation laid. Such a young age. Likewise, why do we have a student ministry? Why do we have a children's ministry? It's not just to babysit your kids so you can be in here. It's not to like fix your kids like they're broken. It's to lay a foundation. To teach them God's word. Shape their worldview by Jesus' teaching. By the gospel before they make big, gigantic mistakes, before they go off the rails, let's lay a foundation when they're young. That's the whole idea. And that's why we want them to be fully plugged in. That's why it's like, look at this row of students right here. I call them students because they were my students when I was a youth pastor, and they're still here. They're still here. That's what we hope for, to lay a foundation that sets them on the right path. 
early on. And even, why do we do small groups? Why do we have C groups and D groups with students? Why do we do Bible studies? Because we want to get you out of rows into circles where you can apply truths and be in a community that helps you lay that foundation. So you don't just learn things that are true, but you have a place where you can apply those truths. Start to change your life. So everything we've heard throughout this series is supposed to be foundational, not just tips and advice. But there's a second guy in the passage. We have the fool. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So on the other side, we have the foolish man. Here's an important detail. The fool also hurt. Here's the word. So important here. The issue is not ignorance. It's not that he doesn't know. He has the same information. He's heard the truth too. Heard these same sermons. The fool ignores it. Fool hears the word, but doesn't do what he's supposed to do. So first principle, the fool knows the truth. You've heard it. What are you going to do with it? Second principle, your biggest mistake or failure probably wasn't from lack of knowledge. Think about your biggest mistake, the thing you regret the most. There's a couple instances where maybe you put trust in the wrong person you didn't know. There's examples where there are things outside your control. But most of you, it probably came down to something where you knew right and wrong and you chose to go down the wrong path. I knew I probably shouldn't play with a chainsaw. Everybody knows they're dangerous. That's also why they're fun. No, I shouldn't get on a ladder. I know all of that, but chose to do it anyway. And as we go into this sermon series and you're going through the individual sermons, no disrespect to Trey, Bobby, Michael on anything, you probably didn't hear something and go, I didn't know. Like, do not murder, besides Riley. Everyone else was like, I already knew that. But everyone else, you know this stuff. You've heard this stuff before. Like, no one in the room was like, you know, don't cheat on your wife. And someone, I did, that's what you've been telling me, honey. That's been the problem in our marriage. I didn't know. I'd be uncomfortable. But you probably already knew it. And that's why it, hits you a little bit because you're not applying it. So it hit a little bit close to home. If my prop fellow, if you can grab our next prop. But you start, to, you start to play this out. All of these little applications. This is the, the scary one. Can we get it? Think about it this way. Let's think about like the game Jenga. If you don't know how this game works, what, what happened here? Oh, all right. Thank you. Thank you, prop guy. Jenga. You build this tower, and then you take turns removing pieces. You try and find one. I don't even... There we go. I was wondering if this illustration was going to fail before it even started. You start removing pieces. I had two energy drinks this morning, so I'm really shaky and nervous and anxious. So that was, we did it. 
but you remove little pieces. I start to think about the way so many of us do this whole Christian life thing. We have the, the firm foundation of God's truths, and then we pick and choose certain ones that we're going to leave out. Pick and choose the ones that we're not as worried about. And we start poking, and we think we're okay. It didn't fall. And we keep toying around. And everyone you remove makes it a little shakier and less stable. That's what the fool does. You hear these messages, you hear the truth, you know what you should do, and then you start picking at it. The ones you're going to apply and the ones you're not. You just pick away at your foundation in little ways, and you know better. You've seen other people head down that path, and you know what it meant for them, but we keep going. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a fool who built his house on sand. The fool is tempted away from wisdom. He's tempted away. So I'm thinking about it. They both know, hey, it's dangerous down by the water. It's better up on the rock. One person goes, so I'm going to build on the rock. The other one goes, it's actually really tough to dig a hole in a rock. It's easy to dig a hole in sand. If I'm up there, I have to walk every day down to the water to get my water, and then I have to carry it up, and I'm lazy. I don't want to dig a hole through a rock. I don't want to carry water every day. Likewise, I love sandcastles. What if I could do those in my backyard? Beachfront property is awesome. There's, there's a, like You can read it, and there's a temptation. There's a reason why the person wants to be by the water. There's something drawing them to it. And in that moment, we're blinded to the danger and we just see the benefit. In that moment, all we see is what we get and we ignore all the wisdom we've heard. We've heard, ignore all the advice and we don't see the danger off in the distance. We just see what's right there in front of us, the benefit. Back to James 1, he says, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. It says it right there. Deceive yourselves. In those moments where you're tempted, you're deceiving yourself. You're ignoring what you actually know to create a fantasy of how this could play out. Which leads to our next principle. When tempted, we think we're the exception. We think we're the exception. We've seen other people head down certain paths. We know where it goes. We know what it costs them in the moment, though. Like, well, I'll, what if I do this a little different? Well, I, I'm not going to do that. I would never let that happen. We think we're the exception. And we start trying to justify what we're doing. Both guys in the story were told, if you build on the sand, storms can come. I'm, I'm the exception. Won't happen to me. Sometimes there's like really obvious extreme examples, but you think about like the person with like the extreme gambling addiction in Vegas or whatever. That they keep thinking, well, I'm feeling lucky. I'm, I know I've lost a ton of money, but I think this is the one. And it's like so easy on the outside to go, dude, the odds are against you. Everyone knows that. They admit that. They're like, no, you can't win. You can't beat us. 
It's rigged that way. That's why they're so extravagant, because they're making money on you. But in that moment, you're feeling lucky. When you're on the hot streak, you think you're the exception. Or uh, my, my kids, actually my whole family, watches this YouTuber called Mr. Beast. If you have kids 18 or younger, you know who Mr. Beast is. If you're old, um, he's the most popular YouTuber in the world. He's 25, and like every week he puts out a video that's like a whole new game show or something. To do a crazy. He literally put out a video yesterday where he buried himself alive for seven days, which like I'm watching it, and I almost had a panic attack <laughs> just watching it. But he did one a month ago about a guy had to get through 10 challenges. Every challenge he gets through, he gets $100,000. But if he fails a challenge, he loses all the money. So he does the first one, gets $100,000, pretty easy. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go for the second one. Does it, $200,000, pretty easy. Third one, does it, a little harder. He's like, mm. weighs it, does the fourth one, barely pulls it off. It's like, yeah, he did, he's got 400,000. Yeah, man, keep going. And he does the fifth one, sixth one, and you're getting so excited. $700,000 he's won. I'm going to go for it. And then he gets to the final of this challenge. He has to like lick a cookie to make a star. And I'm going to do it. And he's licking the cookie and the timer's coming down and he cracks the cookie and he loses all $700,000. And you're oh, and you just like you end the video feeling like depressed. And if you anyone listening, w watching back, like, would you risk seven hundred thousand dollars on your ability to lick a cookie and make a star? As soon as you reframe it, you go, no, no, I would not do that. Of course, I can't do that. That's weird. And of course, I've never done that. But in that moment. He's so excited. He's so tempted. I could make a million dollars. And he thinks he's the exception. He thinks he can be the lick the cookie guy. <laughs> and it cost him $700,000. And it seems so wild and crazy and stupid. But we've all done that stuff. Here's a freebie. This one isn't really from the passage. Sin makes you stupid. Uh, I just wanted to say that because it feels like it applies at this moment. You, we've all been there. And afterwards you go, how, how did I end up here? Sin makes you stupid. And it gives you tunnel vision. You're just locked in on this temptation. You ignore in the storm clouds. You're ignoring the obvious. Everyone around you can see where this is headed, but you've got tunnel vision. Reminds me of Jacob and Esau. One of these stories you, you grew up hearing. This is two brothers. Esau is the older brother, so he gets the birthright. This is in the line of Abraham, so this birthright in terms of the history of humanity and God's plan is everything. Esau loves to go hunting. Jacob loves to cook. Esau comes home hungry. His brother's cooking stew. His brother's kind of a jerk. He's like, I'm not going to give you any stew unless you give me your birthright. Esau's so hungry. He's like, sure, whatever, dude. Trades his birthright for some stew. And it's one of these passages where you just hear it and you go, what? Who would be that stupid that they would trade the course of history, being a part of God's plan, his redemptive plan for mankind, trade all of that for stew? And then you stop and look at your own life and you go, well, I would. You would. 
the right stew, the right moment, when you're feeling weak, when you're tempted, you just have that tunnel vision. And all of a sudden, something, some option you would never entertain seems very good. And you do something so stupid. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. It's not just that we're taking pieces out of our little deal over here. We're not just chipping away at a solid foundation. The fool is like someone who builds their house on sand. And if you've gone far enough down sin, where you've been like in a sin spiral, and you're trying to cover up your sin, you can hear that and go, oh yeah, I've been there. Built my life on lies. My whole life was built on a foundation of lies, trying to cover up something I did. And it's brutal, and it's painful. You can go so far down a path that there's no good options. See, if, if you buy land by the beach to build your house, you're, you're probably going to lose some money. If you build your house there, you're not going to be able to sell the house. You have a house that nobody wants. If you move your family in, you're putting them in danger. And if you stay there until the storms come, you might lose everything, including your life, by staying there. So you can go so far down a path, there are no good options. Will you just keep making a choice? If you find yourself in a place where you just look around and you go, how did I get here and how do I, how do I get out of this? The further you go down a path, the harder it gets to come back. Every step you take is one more step. You have to come back. And you can go so far off base and you keep heading down a path and you're so deep in sin, so deep in foolishness. There's no good options. And it's tough to see how do you even come back from how far you've gone. Another principle. If you decide you're built to build your life on sand, you're just waiting for disaster. See, in the passage, two different stories. Wise man built his house on rock. The rain came. It did not fall because it was built on a foundation of rock. But our foolish man, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, it beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Storms are coming. They are coming. We're all old enough that we've been there. Maybe you're in the middle of it now. Maybe you just got out of it. Maybe it's coming in the near future. But we live in a fallen world. And it is painful and it is brutal. Storms are coming, whether your foundation is on rock or whether your foundation is on the sand. And it's not always obvious beforehand how sturdy things are. Beforehand, things can look good. So like I, uh, a few years back, about five years, years back, our fence was falling over. Probably many of you in Huddle have this experience. Every time it rains, a section of your fence falls over. So you have to walk out, hammer, nail your fence back up. Mine has been attached with zip ties in the past. So we're like, all right, we're going to get a new, new fence. But money was tight at the time. So we hired discount fence guy to build our fence. We did recently. We, tried, we thought we got a good guy, but discount guy. And discount guy decided to hire discount or outsource it to even more discount fence people. So build us a new fence. 
it looks good. Like fresh boards, like, yeah, we have a fence. It looks so sturdy. Month later, first storm comes. Literally weeks later, we have spent thousands on a new fence. Half our fence falls over. So some people come, like, what on earth happened here? See, they had only dug the posts 12 inches deep. I just say that, say that. Anyone that knows anything about fences is like, oh dear. So you know, they have to be at least 18 inches, but really 24 is what you want. They only dug them 12 inches deep. They weren't a firm foundation. It looked great before the storm. As soon as the storm hit, it revealed there's no foundation. They weren't deep enough. Fence fell over. So the question is, are you ready for when the storms come? Because they're coming. Have you built a foundation that can stand up to the storms of life? Are you ready for the storms? I wasn't. I wasn't ready. Uh, if you've been at the church long enough, you know enough about my story, where this is headed. So I, I grew up with an alcoholic father and very tumultuous childhood. He was a functional alcoholic. He could get work done during the day, and it was just crazy at night. So I grew up in a household where I saw alcohol as a bad thing and wanted to stay away from it as much as possible. In fact, my dad drank himself to death when, he, when I was 20 years old. Never had any alcohol before I was 21. But when I was 21, a friend of mine came over and his brother that day uh, had been in an accident. It was probably a suicide attempt. And he was put in a medically induced coma. And he came over with a bottle of alcohol. Said, hey man, it's the worst. can you just drink with me? I knew because of my family history, because of what I'd seen with my dad, because of what I knew about myself, I knew heading down this path was, was a bad idea. I'm not making a statement about alcohol, what you should do. I'm saying a statement about what I knew about myself and what was wise for me to do. But my friend is there. This is the worst day imaginable. I'm in a safe environment. I'm 21. So I was like, all right, it's okay. The day was bad enough, so it's okay. What did we mention before? Deception. Those lies that we believe that set us down these paths. So in that moment, that lie kind of crept into my mind and I started to build a foundation on that. When the storms come, when a day's bad enough, then it's okay to drink. Jump forward a few years, 2008, uh, I got hired at a church. You're attending that church right now. And at, like, if you saw me in my private life, how much I drink, you wouldn't look at it and be like, that guy's got a problem. You wouldn't think anything like that. But there was a lie that I was believing where I thought I was the exception. I, I can control My dad couldn't control it. I can control it. Thought I was the exception. But when you work at a church, you know everyone, you care about everyone, and you know everything going on in their life. And you carry that burden. Therefore, it's really easy to have a lot of days that are really bad. And when you're building your life, your crutch to deal with the storms, this foundation you're building... Is, a, is on sand so many times, kept going down that path, is on the edge of, of wisdom. And then about 
well, I guess it was 11 years ago now, end of 2012 into 2013. If you're here at the church, you know it was just a, a window of time of so much tragedy, of just unexpected deaths of people that were too young, tragedies, suicides. And I had built my life on sand. And the storm hit. And I came crumbling on the inside because I built my life on sand. But you can go so down, far down a path that there's no good options. When you work at a church, when you pay your bills working at a church and your reputation is so pivotal, what do you do? I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. But I was deep in sin and didn't know what to do. And I was out of control. And in a room this size, there's people that you have built your life on sand. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's crippling debt based off of just irresponsible choices. And that's the way that you cope with stress is that you spend money and it's out of control. Maybe your issue is like me, that you have turned to substances and you are out of control. You don't know where to turn. Maybe it's an affair. You're on the verge of an affair and things are messy as can be. I don't know what it is for you. It's a website you go to, but you are far down a path. You have built your life on sand and the storms could be coming. You don't need to stay in the house when the storms come. If the, the band can start heading up, I'm going to go to another parable that Jesus taught. The parable of the prodigal son. One of the most famous ones that Jesus taught is a son. He grew up with a loving father. He knew everything that he should do. And he reached a point where he decided he wanted to turn against it. All the wisdom, all the instruction, he's going to do his own thing. And in fact, he goes to his father and he's like, I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance now. Gets his inheritance, runs off, and lives as the fool. So much so that he burns through his full inheritance and he's living with pigs. He's lived that much of a wild, irresponsible, foolish life. And he goes, ah, I'm going to go back and I'm going to beg my father just to let me be his servant. And so he starts to, to head back, assuming that his father will reject him or his father will be angry or yell at him. But instead, as he runs up to his father, his father's waiting with his arms open wide, waiting for him, ready to give him a hug. That's your heavenly father. If you're running away, if you're in sin, he's waiting for you to come back with arms open wide. So in my story, um, June 2016, things were starting to shake. It was clear something was wrong with me. Something was broken. So much so that some people even kind of came to time like, are you okay? I've seen weird Sean and I've seen what happened yesterday. They're not the same thing. And I reached that point in time where I was like, 
I got to turn back. I got to get out of the house on the shore. I got to get out of here and build a firm foundation. So it was the worst week of the year to do this, but wrote a letter to the elders telling them everything going on. It was essentially my resignation. Then went to them and said, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want my family to do, we're going to do it to, to build the firm foundation, to get, to turn back, to repent from sin, build it on the solid rock. Whatever you want, that's what we're going to do. And here's the thing. Maybe some of you have been at a church where someone comes forward with their sin and they run you off. You've been at a church where a, a pastor has a moral failing and they're run off the church and they're, they're like Voldemort. You can't say their name anymore. My family's still here. We're still here. I'm on the stage right now preaching. That's grace. And so if you're in the middle of your sin, wondering, what, am I, what do I do? Where do I turn? How do I get out of this? That's what the church is for. So don't leave today. Don't go to bed tonight without talking to someone. You are in a place that understands grace and wants to be here for you and help you get out of the sinking sand and on the solid ground. If you've built your life on sand, it's time to turn back. If you've been the fool, it's not too late. If you're deep in sin and shame, your heavenly father is waiting with his arms open wide. Whatever you've done, wherever you're at, God's grace covers your sin. Surrender, 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 confess. Come back to your heavenly Father. He's waiting for you with his arms open. Please stand and sing.